Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to be with you this Lord's Day, and I look forward to entering into the Gospel of Luke once again and exploring a very beautiful story that you find before us. I specifically want to say a couple of things to the sisters and mothers of this church. I want to say something to the women of this church, that if you are at all like my wife, you might have noticed in this story, um, some troubling things. And you might even feel a sense of dread in your heart, like, oh man, I've been here before. This is the sermon where we get the guilt trip, right? The fear mongering. This is where we get to feel really bad about ourselves. And I want to put your hearts and minds at ease and say that this is not the sermon where you will get any of that. I am well aware that this story has been used in a variety of ways by well-meaning pastors and ministers throughout the ages. And I have been guilty of misusing this story myself. But I want you to know that there is more going on in this story than meets the eye. And so if you're reading this and you have memory or history of it and you're thinking, Oh, yes, this is where I must choose between being a Mary or a Martha and then justify it. I want to say that that is not at all the angle that I will be taking today. I want you to see something else in the story that is right there in plain sight that you might not have ever seen before. Now, how how do we do this? Well, let's enter into this, start at the shallow end and then make our way out to the deep end, and then back to shore. A feminist theologian and scholar, Schusler Fiorenza, says, there is no agreement on the basic meaning of this story. And she's right about that. St. Augustine contrasted Mary and Martha in this way. He said that it contrasts the labors of this world versus the bliss of the world to come. Traditional Catholic readings will say that this contrasts the uh, difference between serving man and serving God. Typical evangelical readings break down along these lines, that basically you have a story between choosing the active life or the contemplative life. You have to decide whether you are going to be works-oriented or faith-based. You have to decide between being busy or just being relaxed. And many will say that this is a story that tells us something about the complainers versus the content. I haven't preached on this story or taught on this story since the summer of 2006. I went back into my records and files to see what I did with this story. And what I did in those days is not what I will do today. But in those days, I said, yes, this is about whether someone is practical or relational. And somewhere tucked into that, I said something along the lines of, this is about achievers versus receivers. Pastors love things that rhyme. I don't know why. (laughs) Ironically, the title of that sermon all those years ago was Working to Miss the Point. And I really took aim at Martha in that sermon. But you know who was missing the point was the pastor who was preaching that sermon. And I don't want to repeat that mistake today. And so I want you to think about those traditions and those takes on these stories and see a common thread 
Do you notice the common thread is that all of those takes and traditions center on Mary and Martha, but who is missing in the story? Jesus. The one thing that is needed. The one person that is absolutely necessary. And this brings me back to a question that my wife has asked me on many occasions as I want to share with her some hairy theological interest of mine. The question will be, what does that have to do with Jesus? It's a wonderful question, and that's what we need to be asking of all of these different views that we've heard. What does this story have to do with Jesus? Why did Martha invite Jesus into her house in the first place? Why did she feel so compelled to welcome this man into her home and give him a home-cooked meal? And why did Mary insist on sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him? What was it about Jesus that Mary and Martha found so compelling? That's the kind of question we need to be asking today. And so I want to press into that a little bit more by answering the question using snippets from the Gospel of Luke. Think about things from Mary and Martha's perspective for just a moment. Here this man Jesus has been going about teaching and doing many good things and performing miracles. And there are all kinds of rumors and stories circulating about Jesus in the daily news. I mean, everywhere they look, people are posting about him, they're tweeting about him, they're talking about him in the marketplace. You can't escape the fact that everyone has an opinion about Jesus. And how did they get that? Well, it's likely that Mary and Martha heard stories about some of the things Jesus did. Maybe they heard the story about how Jesus healed his friend's mother-in-law. Maybe they heard stories about how Jesus had compassion on a widow who had lost her only son and he raised her only son back from the dead. Maybe they heard stories about how Jesus healed a woman who had this chronic, never-ending menstrual cycle and how he also went and found time to raise a little girl back from the dead and give her back to her parents. Maybe they heard the story that we heard last week of Jesus forgiving a sinful woman, an escort known in all of the town. Maybe that piqued their interest. Or maybe they heard stories about how Jesus was financially supported by some of the very same women that he had healed and rescued from various physical and spiritual maladies. Perhaps they even heard the story of how Jesus reframed his whole view of family by saying, my mother and my brothers are those who listen to the word of God and do it. And maybe they even heard the story of how Jesus came to eat and drink with sinners. And in light of all of those stories, they start piecing things together and perhaps you have done it as well. They see a common thread running through the life and ministry of Jesus, and their hearts are moved to seek him out. What is one of the things they would have heard in all of those stories that I just mentioned to you? They could have drawn the conclusion that Jesus, whatever else you might say about him, Jesus is the greatest women's minister the world has ever known. Let that soak in for a moment. 
Jesus elevated women in his ministry in a way that no prophet had ever done before, in the way that no religion around him had ever done before. He brought them up to equal status as image bearers, as co-equals in the sight of God. He treated them as special gifts. And so Mary and Martha hear all of this, and they want to seize the opportunity. Jesus has been moving in and out of their community, and so they take their chance, and they invite him into their home. And what do you learn about Mary and Martha right away? The fact that they do that should tell you something about them. They're not just curiosity seekers. These are women that love Jesus from the heart. They love Jesus Both of them love Jesus, and both of them love Jesus in very distinct ways. Mary invites Jesus into her house and gave him a place at her table and showed him hospitality. Why? Because Jesus had a place in Martha's heart. Jesus had a place in Martha's heart. And in this way, Martha reminds us of a woman that we know from the Old Testament. Maybe some of you have met her, but if not, let me introduce you to her. A woman from the Old Testament who is a wealthy woman, 2 Kings 4. She lives in a place called Shunem. She invited Elisha the prophet to eat at her table and stay at her house. And then she convinced her husband to build a small room on the top of their house for this prophet. So that whenever he came to town, whenever he was in the area, he would always have a place to eat and drink and rest. They wanted their house to be a place of refuge and rest for this prophet. And what do you know about Martha and her family? They were doing the very same thing for Jesus. That's why they welcomed welcomed him into their house. But Mary also showed her love for Jesus in a very distinct way. Mary showed her love for Jesus by expressing curiosity wanting to learn more about his teaching, humility of sitting at his feet and listening. And in this way, Mary reminds us of a woman that we know from the Old Testament. And if you don't know her, let me introduce you to her as the Queen of Sheba. You know the story, right? That King Solomon has asked God for wisdom above all else. And God gave him divine wisdom. And the wisdom of Solomon spreads throughout all the world. And everyone is amazed and fascinated by the wisdom of Solomon. The Queen of Sheba comes all the way to to King Solomon's court. And she wants to spend time with him. And the scriptures tell us that she had heard of the wisdom of Solomon and she went to test him with hard questions. And he answered all of her questions and there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And the scriptures say that his wisdom literally took her breath away. His wisdom took her breath away. What do you find happening with Mary? It's the same kind of thing. The same kind of thing. Martha was right to treat Jesus like a prophet. Mary was right to treat Jesus like a king. And they were both right to love Jesus from the heart. And that's a big part of what I want you to see in this story is that there's more than one way to love Jesus. 
There is no one-size-fits-all way to express your love for Christ because each and every one of you has been given a certain set of gifts, a certain set of interests, a certain set of abilities and skills, desires. Each and every one of you is required to love the Lord Jesus Christ, but none of you are required to love him in the same way. So in this story, we see Martha loving Jesus one way, Mary loving Jesus another way, but they both love him. Martha loves Jesus by welcoming him into her home and showing him hospitality, providing him a home-cooked meal, and giving him a place to rest and refresh from all of his labors in ministry. And Mary loves Jesus by showing curiosity and sitting at his feet and listening to every word that comes from his mouth. If you stop and think about what Mary's doing for a moment, you would realize that she's doing what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he was 12 years old. Remember the story of how he snuck away from his parents and he disappeared for a few days and they thought he was lost or kidnapped or something horrible had happened and they went back and looked for him and where did they find him? They found him in the temple. And what was he doing? He was doing what Mary's doing here, sitting with the teacher, listening and asking questions. In other words, like Jesus, Mary is about her father's business in this story. And we know she's about her father's business because in the context of the Gospel of Luke, God the Father had spoken out of a cloud of glory to the followers of Jesus, and he said about Jesus, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And so he gave pride of place to his son Jesus over the prophets, over the Old Testament scriptures, over the the psalmist. Why? Because the psalmist and the prophets and the law were all pointing to Jesus. And now God the Father is saying, this is the one I want you to listen to. And Mary who is about her father's business, is listening to Jesus. I wonder what kind of things she heard him say. The story doesn't tell us what he was teaching, but she was listening to whatever he was teaching. Maybe she was asking the hard questions. Maybe she wanted Jesus to explain more about the Beatitudes. What did you mean when you said, blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and reject you? And insult you because of you. What does that mean? And how in the world can we rejoice and leap for joy because of that? Are you really going to give us a reward in heaven? Or maybe she was asking Jesus questions about his proverbial wisdom. Maybe she had heard things like you have heard. Where Jesus said, love your neighbors. Do good to those who hate you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Maybe she was listening to those kinds of things. Or maybe she had heard Jesus say things like, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Take the plank out of your eye before you try to get the speck out of someone else's eye. Out of the the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's nothing hidden that will not be revealed And whoever is not against you is for you. The wisdom of Christ 
pouring into Mary's heart, pouring into Mary's life, and she wants to know more and understand better what Jesus is teaching, what this teacher is all about. Or perhaps she had even heard the recent teaching of Jesus leak out from the disciples where Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day. A mystery of the gospel. Of course, if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to know more about what that means. So Mary is listening to the teachings of Jesus, and you can only imagine how it took her breath away. Now, all of these things are happening at the table. It's a conversation around the table. Jesus is teaching from the table. It's a table talk. And this teaching is going out. What a conversation that would be for your dinner or your supper, right? So like Mary and Martha, you find yourself week in and week out faced with a variety of options in life, don't you? You're constantly having to make decisions. There are studies and reports about the numbers of the hundreds of or maybe thousands of decisions we have to make every single day. I mean, it just keeps coming at us. We're faced with a variety of options, and usually those options come down to choosing between good and evil. That's one way, one option. Sometimes it's simply choosing between um, important and urgent matters. We've got to make those split decisions as well. And then sometimes the more difficult ones are the decisions between the better and the worse, right? It's hard to determine which is better and which is worse. But do you see in this story that Jesus looks at Mary and he says to Martha that Mary has chosen what is good, what is important, and what is better. And he praises Mary for that. He praises Mary for making perhaps a hard decision, a countercultural decision, a decision that defies societal norms. She makes a decision by elevating Christ in her heart, setting him apart as Lord of her life and saying, no, whatever else is happening, I want to listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus says something interesting in this statement when he says she has chosen the good portion, the good part. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is taking language that you find throughout the Old Testament scriptures, and he's bringing it to bear on this story. And he's saying Mary has connected with the word of God in so many different ways that she understands exactly what she's doing. She knows exactly who and what she has chosen. And who and what she has chosen is the good portion. It's not a thing. It's not a substance. It's a person. She has chosen the good portion. You find this in uh, the prophets, for example, that say, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is my portion. The psalmist also said, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And it's as if Jesus is saying, here Mary is, echoing the prophets and the psalmist in this moment. She realizes that the Lord Jesus Christ is her chosen portion. So my question for you today is, who is your portion? 
What will you choose with all the decisions, among all the options you have, who will you choose to be your portion, your prized possession? What will you do with the time that you've been given? The good portion that we all must choose is, again, not a place, but a person. It's not a thing, it's not a treasure, but it is a teacher. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the chosen one. Jesus came to eat and drink with sinners, as we've been saying. And you see that week in, week out in all of these stories. But when we say Jesus came to eat and drink with sinners, we mean he came to eat and drink with sinners like you and me. He came to eat and drink with sinners like us. And up till now, in this service, the Lord Jesus has come to meet us, and he has fed us with the word from the reading of scriptures and from uh, the preaching from this pulpit. But now he is going to feed you with word from his table, the visible words of grace that remind you what a gift he is to you and how he offers himself to you. At this table, which we call Holy Communion, we get a little taste of this extra special feast that Jesus has invited us to. And when Jesus invites us to this feast, we must know that Jesus is not only the gracious host of the feast, he is also the humble servant, he is the main course, and he is a fellow guest at this table. And so he invites you to come, he invites you to take your seat at his table, he serves you his blood and body, and he feasts with you by his spirit. If you have chosen Jesus Christ as your portion and your cup, these gifts will not be taken away from you. So you may come and eat and drink and be happy, for you have chosen the one thing that is needed in life and in death. You have chosen to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray.